you pray with me? Uh, Father God, you are our truth. Uh, Jesus is described as the way, the truth, and the life. And so I pray that you would uh, speak what is true about yourself and speak what is true about us. And I pray that we might respond accordingly this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your living and active word. I thank you for how you use it to form and shape us uh, and change us into the people that you have called us to be. Uh, Lord, give us humble hearts this morning to receive from, from you what you have uh, for us, and we will be careful to give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Now you may have a seat. <laughs> Dan, I can't quite recover from what you said this morning. I, uh, it made me think, uh, this is not in my notes, so this could get dangerous. But have you ever seen the thing on Facebook, explain what you do for a living in the worst possible way? Have, have you seen this before? And people describe what they do, but poorly. And so I just thought as he said that, I guess I should say that I take 40 minutes to explain what could be done in 30 seconds. And so that's what... <laughs> So, thank you, Dan. I uh, still love you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, we got 39 more minutes. Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse 6, uh, says that wisdom uh, is, is better uh, than gold. Wisdom, some translations say, is worth more than gold. And I don't know if you know this or not, but, but gold uh, is worth a little something. And Scripture teaches us that wisdom is even more valuable than gold. Uh, when I was in elementary school, my brother and I were walking home from school one day when we stumbled across what was at the time the largest piece of gold I had ever laid eyes on. I don't remember who found it. It probably was my brother. He picked it up. We both looked at it. We both looked at each other, and we realized in that instance that we uh, had just found a treasure trove. Uh, this was going to be a game changer for two young men, boys really, who I think at the time were in sixth and fourth grade. Uh, we spent the rest of the time walking home daydreaming about what we were going to do with our newfound fortune. I don't remember exactly how we were going to spend it all, uh, but I'm pretty sure we were going to get the Nintendo Maybe Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Tecmo Bowl, yes and amen, The Legends of Zelda. We were going to spare no expense. We were going to give ourselves to video games for the rest of our lives. I think, and I don't remember this uh, perfectly or clearly, but I'm pretty sure we were even committed to helping out our parents because they had raised us for you know, 10, 8 years respectively. They had done a noble and fine job, and so we decided that we were going to share some of our fortune with them. And so we brought our gold nugget home, and we showed it to our mother later. When my father came home from work, we showed it uh, to my dad, and he took one look at it. He held it and said, yes, boys, uh, this is fool's gold. I was a kid, I didn't know what fool's gold was, but it sounded less expensive than regular gold. And so I was disappointed. I was disappointed. My dad looked at it and said, yes, this little treasure that you found is actually trash. The thing that you thought 
was so valuable is actually essentially worthless. Wisdom is worth more than gold. However, um, there is a fool's wisdom that is worthless. And there is a godly wisdom that is so incredibly valuable. And so this morning, I want us to be able to differentiate uh, between the two. Uh, James helps us in James chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, uh, you can follow along on the screen. uh, Or you can pull out your phone, uh, look up your favorite Bible app, version. go to events, look for Christ Point Church, uh, and you'll be able to follow along with us that way as well. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in James chapter 3, verse 13, Who is wise in understanding among you? Uh, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Uh, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Uh, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace uh, by those who make peace. Uh, James writes to the church and asks the question, who is wise among you? This could be in reference to just a few verses earlier when James spoke to a group of aspiring preachers and teachers and encouraged them and challenged them and said, whoa, not so fast. He cautioned them uh, in their pursuit of having a platform of being heard. Here he might be responding again to those group of teachers uh, who wanted to be up front and center. And he asked the question, who is wise among you? Uh, Can I ask you a question this morning? When you think of wisdom, uh, what comes to mind? When you think of wisdom, uh, what comes to mind? I asked this question to my uh, children earlier this week. I wanted to see how they would respond. And uh, one of my boys Uh, said, yeah, I I know that the Bible talks about wisdom. There's a character, I think, in the Bible, actually, who was kind of granted a request from God. and He he could ask for anything, and he asked for wisdom. And I said, that's that's right. That's that's right. That actually happened. There was a man in the Old Testament. He found a lamp that he rubbed, and he got a wish. And and God said, just whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And my, my son said, Dad, I think that's Aladdin. I think that's Aladdin. I said, I'm sorry, I'm getting my stories confused. But yeah, Scripture talks a lot about wisdom. It talks about the value of wisdom. But what is wisdom? Admittedly, when I think of wisdom, oftentimes I think of the educated. Uh, I think of the Ivy League education. Uh, I think of someone that you see on television, someone you read about in a journal that you listen to and you hear or that you read and you just go, that guy, that gal, boy, they are smart. Man, they're wi- they just seep 
wisdom. When I think of wisdom, I think of the educated, I think of the intelligent. I think of the person that you listen to that you walk away and you go, I'm not sure what they said, but it sounded smart. Right? You, you, you read something that, that someone wrote 50 years ago, and at the time everyone said that they were crazy, but decades later you read it and you go, they were on to something. Right? In, in my mind, it's the intellectual, it's the educated who is wise. Sometimes when I think of wisdom, I think of the individual, the man, the woman, who's just successful. Or they, they've kind of figured out life in a fallen and broken world, and Man, they've just risen to the top. They figured something out. They knew what to do and when to do it. They bought Zoom in January of 2020, right? And they sold it in January of 2022, right? They bought Apple before turtleneck black sweaters were cool, right? They just were on to something. They looked at the world and the direction that we were headed, and they just figured it out. I go, that person is wise. Who is wise? Admittedly, sometimes I think it's the educated, it's the intellectual, it's the successful. That may be true sometimes. But the, the picture of the wise one given in Scripture is very different than the picture that oftentimes I think about and maybe you think about. Scripture paints a picture of the wise one as the one who lives out his or her faith with meekness. James writes, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Isn't that interesting? James asks the question, who, who is wise among you? And then he answers it in a way that maybe you wouldn't expect. He says the wise one is the, the one who, who essentially hears and obeys the word in a humble and in a meek way. Not necessarily the smartest guy or gal in the room, the most intellectual or the educated, the experienced or the successful. It's the one who has submitted his or her life uh, to the Lord. Isn't that interesting that, that James looks at the character and the conduct in identifying the one who is wise? In some ways, it should come as no surprise to us. James has been doing this all throughout his letter. We, we said many weeks ago that someone described James as the bossiest book in all of Scripture. Uh, James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Uh, when you read through the book of James, you can't help but think of the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so James is uh, painting a picture of two kinds of wisdom uh, that we find in the world. Um, the first one that he points out is the wisdom of the world. Look at verse 14 again in James chapter 3. James writes and says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So wisdom number one, according to James, is what he calls worldly wisdom. He actually describes it in verse 15 as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are strong words uh, from James to the church. Uh, this wisdom is earthly, 
unspiritual, and it's demonic. It's the antithesis of everything God is and everything that God stands for. Uh, worldly wisdom offers life from a limited perspective. Uh, it, it causes one to see the world in a particular way. Uh, wisdom from the world challenges you and me to assert yourself, promote yourself, advance yourself. And yet Jesus calls us uh, to deny yourself. Worldly wisdom essentially causes us to ask the question, what's best for me? What do I want? And James says that kind of thinking leads to anger and it leads to bitterness. What are the characteristics of worldly wisdom? Worldly wisdom, according to James, is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition. Isn't that interesting that that's how he describes it? Uh, when I think of jealousy in Scripture, I think of the story of Saul uh, and David. Remember when David uh, killed the giant and he was uh, coming home and people essentially threw a parade for David. And the folks gathered and uh, they sang a little ditty uh, that went like this. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul heard that and it drove him nuts. A scripture says Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? David said he already has the praise and the applause of the people. What's left for him to take but the whole kingdom? And scripture says, Saul eyed David from that day on. Have you ever been jealous before? Have you ever looked at someone's life and thought to yourself, <laughs> must be nice. Oh, to be in her shoes. Uh, to have that kind of life, to have those kids or that spouse or that ability to do that with your resources, your money, your free time, <laughs> must be nice. You ever look at another guy before and think to yourself, boy, I'd, I'd like to spend some time walking in his shoes. He's good looking, he's dynamic, he's well-loved, he's successful. And you think to yourself, man, his life is better than my life. James writes to the church and says, worldly wisdom is marked by jealousy. When, when we look around and compare our lot to someone else's, James writes and says, that's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition. Ambition in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. To have hopes and dreams, to have desires, to have things that you aspire to do or to accomplish, it's not necessarily a bad thing. That can be a good thing. You know, making the most of the life that God has given to you, making the most of the gifts and the abilities he's entrusted to you, it's not terrible. 
But James here is talking about selfish ambition. And selfish ambition uh, isn't about others or God. Selfish ambition is about you. Selfish ambition is when we look inward instead of outward. And we say things like, what do I want? What do I desire? What will make me happy? What would fulfill me or what would satisfy me? James says when we're gripped by selfish ambition, it is a mark of earthly, unspiritual, or demonic wisdom. Uh, Worldly wisdom is something that we read about all throughout the pages of Scripture. Uh, When I read this just the other week, I thought of the book of Judges describing God's people, his his people that uh, had a tendency to go their own way and to do their own thing. It says over and over again in the book of Judges that God's people did what was right in their own eyes. They said, listen, I'm I'm sitting on the throne of my life. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and how I want. That's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is spoken of in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, Paul writes to the church at Rome and says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Worldly wisdom uh, denies the creator, and worships the creation. And when I read verse 22, I thought, man, that perfectly describes the world and the culture that we live in. Claiming to become or to be wise, they became fools. We see this lived out all over the place. We, if we're honest, have experienced this in our own lives. Right? When we think we've kind of figured things out, we're going to play by our own rules, we're going to do our own thing. We claim to be wise. We're unique, we're different. And we become fools. We say things in our culture like the heart wants what it wants. Um, follow your heart. Just do it. Speak your truth. Be true to yourself. It's all about you. It's all about me. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the dictionary definition of what James calls a worldly wisdom. It is fool's wisdom. It may seem attractive and valuable on the outside, but truth be told, It is worthless. Uh, Thankfully, James doesn't leave us there. He's he's painting a picture of two different kinds of wisdom. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, or 
what he describes as wisdom from above. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, James tells the church there, there's a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom from above that produces uh, character quality, characteristics uh, in the people of God. It's not just the people who are educated or smart or who know how to make all of the right decisions at the right time. It's about the kind of person uh, that you are becoming. James says the person who has wisdom from above is first of all pure. Pure here means undefiled. It has the idea of being morally pure. James isn't talking about a person who is perfect. There are no perfect people, uh, but people who are morally pure have a heart for God. They strive after holiness. Uh, commentators will tell you that James lists purity first because it is the overarching attribute which all other characteristics flow out of. James says, if you want uh, uh, wisdom that is from above, know that it is marked uh, by purity. Uh, he continues and says, this wisdom from above is not only pure, but it is peaceable. Uh, peaceable is translated peace-loving, or literally just peaceful. Um, this does not suggest, by the way, that there are no times in life uh, when we experience difficult conversations or hard conversations. Uh, James isn't arguing that being peaceful means that we always strive toward harmony without saying difficult things. He's not suggesting that. It's like the couple, the married couple that was celebrating 50 years of marriage. Uh, they asked the husband how he did it. What is the key uh, to marital bliss after 50 years? This was his response. Well, the old man drawled. Uh, the wife and I had this agreement when we first got married. It went like this. When she was bothered about something, she'd just tell me and get it off her chest. And when she did something that bothered me, uh, then I would just go outside and take a long walk. And then he said this, I suppose you could attribute our happy marriage to the fact that I have largely led an outdoor life. <laughs> That's not what James is talking about. He, he, he's not saying live a peaceful life by simply living outdoors going for very, very, very long walks. But, but he, he is suggesting that the, the one who uh, obtains or possesses wisdom from above, his or her life is marked by peace. They, they are a, a joy uh, to be around. I think of Paul's charge in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, uh, live at peace with everyone. I understand that it's, it's not always possible, but Paul says as far as it is possible, if at all possible, live at peace with everyone. 
St. Francis understood this when he uh, prayed beautifully, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring unison in place of discord. A peace, godly peace or wisdom is marked uh, by, by a peace. It is marked by a purity and it's marked by gentleness. A gentleness here describes the kind of person who even though they are wronged and has the right uh, to kind of put their foot forward and set the record straight, they don't feel that it's necessary. Uh, he or she is not harsh. Uh, their words are not offered up to make a point. Th their words are not harsh and they do not sting. They, they, they don't go out of their way to speak their mind. They're gentle. A gentle, by the way, is not soft. Right? Sometimes I think particularly us men, when we think of gentle, we don't always perceive that to be a characteristic of, of a man. And yet Jesus was described as gentle and lowly. Uh, someone who is gentle is a joy to be around. It, it's someone you can kind of let your guard down. Because you don't feel like um, they're going to go out of their way to crush you or to make a point or to speak harsh words against you. They give you uh, the benefit of the doubt. They think the best. Wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. And, and James says it's open to reason. Have you ever had a conversation with someone before and walked away and thought to yourself, that was like talking to a brick wall? <laughs> you're going what was that all about like you tried to reason you tried to help someone see the world maybe how you see the world or see a situation maybe a little differently than they see it but it was just like walking up to a brick wall and having a conversation you're going what was that all about james says wisdom from above is open to reason it doesn't mean that you're wishy-washy it means that you have the humility to listen for a minute and, and maybe think, maybe they see something that I don't. Maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong. Oftentimes we don't, we don't function that way. We're, we're quick to think, if they don't see the world like I see the world, if they don't think how I think, then they're an idiot. James is saying wisdom from above is gentle. Some translations uh, describe, or, or is open to reason. Some translations uh, describe this world, word as being submissive. Right, where you kind of step back and you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to listen. I'm, I'm going to be open to reason. James tells us that's wisdom from above. Maybe you hear that this morning and there's someone that comes to mind. You're like, I know that brick wall. I, I have someone in mind. I, I have his name. I have a picture of him or her in my mind. And I know someone who is just that stubborn. Well, can I ask you a question? Is it possible, is it possible that the stubborn person 
is you. Or me. A godly wisdom is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open uh, to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy in Scripture uh, is compassion in action. Mercy is compassion in action. It's compassion that moves. It's not like, oh, bless his heart, bless her heart. <laughs> That's too bad. It's compassion that moves. James continues and says, wisdom from above is impartial. Right? Impartial means that it's steady. It does not vacillate. It, it doesn't take one position one minute and then the next position the next minute. It's not flimsy. It doesn't flip-flop. It's consistent. It's impartial. And then lastly, he says, wisdom from above is sincere. Wisdom from above is sincere. It literally means that it is without hypocrisy. It's the picture or the idea of a stage actor who pretends to be someone or something that they're not. A wisdom from above doesn't do that. A wisdom from above kind of communicates what you see is what you get. Now, admittedly, I say that, and sometimes we use that to excuse our own foolishness or our behavior. Right? We, we do something or say something that we shouldn't, and we go, well, that's just, that's how I've always been. I've always had a problem with my tongue. I'm witty, right? quick on my feet. I've always been that way. That's just how I am. That, that's not the kind of authenticity James is, is talking to the church about. Instead, he's saying, no, I want you to be sincere. I want you uh, to, to be consistent. I want you to live in such a way that you're authentic. That, that people who know you, they know you. Right? The good and the bad and the ugly. You're not pretending to be something that you're not. That's wisdom uh, from above. What is the result what is the result of wisdom from above? What does it create? Like if we live th this sort of life, what can, we be, what can we expect? James tells us in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And don't you, don't you long for that? Don't you long to experience that? I, I do. I just read it and I'm going, man, a harvest of righteousness harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you notice what worldly wisdom produces? Uh, James told us that worldly wisdom marked by jealousy and discord uh, leads to disorder in every vile practice. I mean, you just, you see it. You experience it. But James says wisdom from above uh, produces a harvest of righteousness it's different i mean you just know you look at you're going that's different that is different who is wise in understanding among you james asked by his good conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom um, so how, how do we get that kind of wisdom right, we, we've seen uh, earthly or unspiritual or what James describes as demonic wisdom, we go, ah, I don't want that. Uh, we, we, we've gotten just a taste 
of what godly wisdom produces, what it looks like, and we go, I, I want door number two more so than, than door number one. How, how does it happen? Here's just a few suggestions. Number one, we can ask for it. We can pray. Sounds a little simplistic, I know. Maybe that's a bit of a Bible answer. I got two more Bible answers. That's one of them. Like, ask and pray. I mean, James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Like, I don't understand all the ins and outs, but if there's something that I want, that God has, and the Bible tells me, ask God for it, and he'll give it to you. Kind of a simple guy, I think to myself, well, maybe I should ask for it. God, would you, would you give me that? Get, get, like, may my life be marked by those characteristics. I, I long for that. I don't, I'm not naturally that way. My, my bent isn't toward that, so God, help me. But I, I want that. And so we pray and we ask God for it. We, we go to his word and we study. We study. We study. And we apply his word. Jesus says, blessed is the one who hears, who hears and obeys these words. Right, so our, our goal in life isn't primarily to get Bible smart. God hasn't called us to be ignorant about the things in Scripture. We, we, don't, want, we don't want to err toward that, but we don't want to just, just be smart. We don't want to just know a lot about the Bible. We want to receive the Word and we want to apply it to life. So we come under the word of God. We submit ourselves to the word. And we say, God, like, lead me, guide me, direct me. Tell me what to do, and I want to do it. It's the kind of life I want to live. We ask God for wisdom. We pray. We study and apply his words. And third, we, we fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We fear God not in, a, in, in the sense where we're walking on eggshells frightened that with one slip up he's going to take us out but we fear the lord in the sense that there is an awe and there's a reverence for him and we're just like we're blown away by who he is we just bask in his beauty and when we do that when we behold him when we see him god begins to change us we want to be changed by God. We want to be changed by his word. We want to be blown away uh, by the goodness of God. And so we strive long to fear uh, him in a good and a healthy way. Uh, in his commentary on the book of James, author Kent Hughes uh, tells the story of Sir John Franklin. In 1845, Royal Navy Rear Admiral Sir John Franklin and 138 specially chosen officers and men left England to find the Northwest Passage. They sailed in two, three-masted ships with the daunting names Erebus, which is the dark place according to Greek mythology through which souls pass on their way to Hades, ship number one. Ship number two was simply titled Terror. 
Ken Hughes didn't say this, but I'm going to. If I have an option of getting on two boats and one of them is the last stop before hell and the other one is named terror, I'm not getting on the boat. These men did. Each ship was equipped with an auxiliary steam engine and a 12-day supply of coal. Should the steam power be needed sometime during the anticipated two to three year voyage but instead of loading additional coal whenever you read that just think to yourself this isn't going to be smart instead instead of loading additional coal each ship made room for a 1200 volume library You readers in the group, love ya. That wasn't a good idea. 1,200-volume library, an organ. No comment. And full, elegant place settings for all. China cut glass goblets and sterling flatware. The officer sterling was of especially grand Victorian design with the individual officer's family crest in initials engraved on the heavy handles. The only clothing which these proud Englishmen took on the expedition were the uniforms and uh, great coats of Her Majesty's Navy. The ship sh sailed off amidst imperial pomp and glory. Two months later, a British whaler met the two ships in the Lancaster Sound, and reports were carried back to England of the expedition's high spirits. Uh, he was the last European to see them alive. Search parties funded by Lady Jane Franklin began to piece together a tragic history from information gathered from Eskimos. Uh, some had seen the men pushing a wooden boat across the ice. Others had found a boat, perhaps the same boat, and the remains of 35 men at a place now named Starvation Cove. Another 30 bodies were found in a tent at Terror Bay. Simpson Strait had yielded an eerie sight, three wooden masts of a ship protruding through the ice. For the next uh, 20 years, search parties recovered skeletons from the frozen waste. Uh, Twelve years later, it was learned that Sir Admiral Franklin had died aboard ship. The remaining officers and crew had decided to walk for help. Accompanied one clump of bodies were place settings of sterling silver flatware bearing the officers' initials and family crests. The officers' remains were dressed in their fine button blue uniforms with silk scarves in place. The Franklin Expedition was a monumental failure by all estimations. It was foolishly conceived planned, equipped, and carried out. Uh, the expedition itself accomplished absolutely nothing. And yet, and yet, uh, that, that ill-fated trip uh, made an impact on others. Some 20 to 30 uh, ships uh, following that journey uh, made their own journey uh, looking to discover uh, what Franklin had attempted to find. 
thankfully and mercifully, uh, they were successful when Franklin was not. And the reason they were successful is because they looked at the foolish wisdom of one who was ill-prepared for life's conditions. And they learned valuable lessons that they took with them. Uh, church family, there is a way for us uh, to look at the fool's wisdom of the world and see um, that that does not work. Uh, to see the impact and the effect of a life lived pursuing selfish ambition and jealousy and thinking to ourselves, Lord, I, I do not want to go there and instead uh, live a life pursuing wisdom from above. Church, do not chase after a fool's wisdom. There is a better way. There is a way that leads to life. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Would you pray with me? God, it seems to me that wisdom in your word is not so much about what we know. That certainly is important. But it is about the people that we are becoming. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would cause us uh, to, to be the kind of people who reflect a wisdom from above. Would you make us a people of purity and a people of uh, peace? Would you humble our hearts in such a way that we are teachable,